0: Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Uh, Very good. Well, this morning we are kicking off our Advent series for this year and you would have seen the the video beforehand, um, we're doing it a little bit differently this year. This series is called Advent Conspiracy, and I want to start with a bit of a confession with you this morning that I learned far too late in my life that Advent was more than the little calendars that you pull the chocolates out of. I'm not going to tell you how old, but too old. Uh, and I've had a bit of a roller coaster relationship with Advent calendars, I've got to be honest with you. They were a bit of a staple in the Corkill family household, you know, the, the Cadbury branded ones. They're that deep purple. They've got the cartoon nativity scene. You pull it out each day, a little chocolate. You love to see it. But then I got married, and I realised I married a woman who didn't just like the Cadbury Advent calendars. She liked the really expensive ones that you get, you know, from your makeup product companies or your gin distilleries with the little taste of, you know, in the lead up to Christmas or the, all of those things that cost far too much money. And so I don't love Advent calendars as much as I once did. <laughs> not at all. We didn't get one this year. It's the first time since we got married I said, no, nah, not going to happen. There's a few more days. Maybe she'll buy herself one. Who knows? But Advent is so, so, so much more than that. Uh, The word Advent uh, means coming or arrival, and has really marked a key part in the historical church uh, liturgical calendar for hundreds uh, and hundreds of years now. And as Julie was telling us, it marks a season of anticipation as we lead up to Christmas. It's about tracing that anticipation towards the first coming of Jesus, and really that hopeful expectation of the second coming, the coming of new creation. So the tradition of Advent spans usually over those four weeks in the lead up to Christmas and as Julie beautifully did before, a candle is lit every week to to represent hope and then peace and then joy and then love. But as I said, we're doing Advent a little bit differently this year at Greenhouse. And it's pretty easy to get to the end of Advent, the end of the Christmas season, and realise that we've probably been more anticipating the Christmas event than the Christmas story, the Jesus story. So this series that we're going to step into, Advent Conspiracy, is about redirecting us from the, the chaos and the hustle, the busyness and the consumerism of Christmas, back towards Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, orienting your life completely towards Jesus at the best of times can feel a little bit unattainable, and a little bit difficult and so the prospect of that in probably the busiest month of the year might seem impossible you might be sitting there going nice one josh but not a chance but my prayer this morning is that throughout this series as we walk through i guess these practical and spiritual ways of refocusing ourselves towards jesus would be that as we do this you get a fuller sense of the the christmas message the christmas meaning and the joy and the hope and the love and the peace comes with that. Does that sound all right? how we got to introduce a series, how cool. (laughs) So how do we do this? How do we orient our anticipation away from the Christmas event and towards the Jesus story? We're going to unpack that question over the next four weeks and you would have seen in that video there's kind of four buckets that we're going to look at that uh, this month. But I want to start with this idea of worshipping fully. And to do that this morning, I want to take you through one of Jesus' first documented interactions uh, in Scripture and unpack what I think that could look like for us to worship fully this Christmas. So the wise men, you see them in your beautiful purple Cadbury Advent calendars. There's always three of them. They're always in crowns always have their gifts. Now, I don't know why there's always three of them. Definitely, we're going to read it in a second, but it never says there was three. And personally, if I was going to travel that many days, I would go with more than just two other people, because you would get sick of them, I think. Um, But the wise men, we're going to read this story in a second, but they paint a really beautiful image, I think, of what it could look like for us to fully worship Jesus. So let me read it to you. We're in Matthew chapter 2 reading from the ESV translation in case you get confused. I didn't tell the screens guys to put it up, so if it's there, hectic. If not, you can listen to me. Okay, Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. And in some translations there, it might say they bowed down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So I believe there's some lessons that this passage can teach us this morning about worshipping Jesus fully. But before I unpack those with you, let me pray, because we all need a little prayer. Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for, God, just this space that we we can come and worship you. We can come and be in your presence. We can come and be in community this morning. See over these next few minutes as we, as we unpack, uh, God, I guess these lessons I believe that you have given me for the church this morning, would you just be in that? God, would anything that isn't from you, God, just be missed? Would it fall away? But would you really penetrate our hearts with what you have for us this morning? So be with us. Help me to not deviate from my notes too much. In your name, amen. That's been Sienna's advice all week. Stick to your notes. You sound really dumb when you don't stick to your notes. <laughs> anyway, I'm sticking to my notes. The first lesson that I believe the wise men teach us they didn't sing. Now, stick with me for a second. I think if this morning's worship team were with them in Jerusalem, they might have sung um, because whoever, gee, the team, wild, so good. Whoever's on, Are you on sound, Josh? Best mix ever. Um, The team were on this morning, Um, but I think we have this misconception in the the modern kind of charismatic church that when we talk about worship, what we think about is the singing. We think about the three songs on a Sunday. We think about the the playlist we put on in our cars. We think about you know chucking the AirPods in when we've had a bad day. You love that worship playlist. Uh, I sure do. But I want to challenge that I think that view of worship is far more narrow than the biblical image uh, that is painted for us of what worship is. And I really believe that the wise men show us that. Now, I think that's double ironic coming from me because, like Jamie, I'm one of the, the worship guys here. And so I do, love a, I do love a good sing when it comes to church and love a good musical worship, I guess you'd call it. But really want to unpack that I believe that is just one facet of how God intends us to worship him. So we're going to get a little bit technical here. The Greek word used in this passage uh, for worship and also the most common word uh, in the New Testament for worship is proskuneo. I hope I've said that right. If there's any Greeks in the building, you can correct me afterwards. Uh, But that translates to to bow down or to lie face down uh, or to, to kiss the hand of someone superior in an act of reverence and submission. Another way that proskeneo is defined is to kiss like a dog licks its master's hand. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with that second definition. I have uh, a beautiful seven-month-old golden retriever cross Labrador puppy, Honey Angel. Ninety percent of the time, eighty percent of the time, maybe. But every morning we kind of we let her into our bedroom and she jumps up on our bed. And if you knew us before we got Honey, we said we would never be dog bed parents. We are dog-in-the-bed parents now. And she comes in and she's a little bit hyped at first because she's like, I haven't seen you guys in like eight hours. Here we go. But then she'll, she'll lie down and she'll, she'll lick my hand. And that's 60 seconds where the hand licking lasts. The sweetest 60 seconds of my day. you love to see it. She's just lying there. She's having a good lick. She's like, you're the man. I love you. At least that's what I'm telling myself she's saying. But then after about that 60 seconds, the lick turns into just a little nibble. And the nibble's still kind of cute, it's right. But then that nibble turns into a bite. I don't know if anyone else... Did your dogs bite you in the back row? Oh, gee, must be nice. (laughs) Honey loves a bite. (laughs) But enough about my biting dog. That's kind of how the Bible looks at this, not the biting part. The licking in adoration part is kind of how the Bible is using this, this worship word. But it's clear from kind of those definitions that we looked at just then that worship is a posture thing. It's it's an action thing. But if we read verse 11 again, it says here, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. As I said, some other translations, if you're in the NIV, it'll say they bowed down and they worshipped him. And what I find really interesting here is the verse has already told us about the physical act, when it tells us that they, they bowed down or they, they fell down. But then again, it tells us that they worshipped him. And I think, what, I think what Matthew is trying to tell us here is, yes, there is a physical posture of worship, but there is also a heart posture of worship. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm going to say that one more time. There is a physical posture of worship. There is the bowing down, there is the lying down, there is the kissing the master's hand, but there is a heart posture of worship that I think we need to get right. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love the musical worship thing, and I think it is a brilliant way to get us to that heart posture. And I think, look, in the spirit of transparency and honesty in my own life, I probably rely on that expression of worship too much compared to the fuller expression of what worshipping Jesus can be like. But that is just one facet of how God intends us to worship him fully. So that's lesson one. They didn't sing. Lesson two. There was a cost involved for the wise men. Now, if you think about this story a little bit more, God interrupted The wise men's life, they were wise. They were probably hanging out. They had their crowns on. By the sounds of things, they were very rich. They were living it up. And called them to worship Jesus, who was the Messiah of a religion they likely didn't believe in, Um, had probably read passages, had had interactions with uh, people from the the biblical narrative before, as we look at the Old Testament, but probably didn't believe in Jesus, uh, or God, sorry, as the, the one deity. And Matthew is uh, nice and unclear for us here and doesn't really tell us anything about these guys, doesn't tell us how many there are, doesn't give us an exact location of where they're from. Uh, now, our historian friends would say that they're likely from somewhere in Persia when they talk about the, the east, so at least the, you know, the Persian robes that you might see in your Cadbury calendar are kind of slightly historically accurate, which is good, but... That would be about a 40-day journey for them to get from Persia to Jerusalem uh, where Jesus is. There's a a time sacrifice that the wise men made uh, for this. But there's also a resource sacrifice. I think when we we think about the gifts that the wise men gave, we think about these cute little gold and this, like, cute little myrrh uh, and the frankincense. Uh, But those gifts had a significant um, resource impact. A lot of theologians talk about how the gifts that were given there actually played a very practical role in getting Mary and Joseph and Jesus out of Jerusalem to Egypt and then back into Jerusalem when Herod... Got out of the way, uh, which was good. But I think in this Christmas season, there are so many things calling for our time, calling for our resource, calling for our attention, And there's actually a real sacrifice when we choose to fully worship Jesus this Christmas season. When we choose to worship Him with a tie with our time, sorry, there is a real sacrifice in how many things we can squeeze into the next 25 days. I know there's always one too many things. When we choose to worship with our finances, there is a real cost on how much we maybe spend on ourselves and how much we spend on others. And I think we're going to explore that next week deeper. But there is a cost when we choose to worship Jesus fully. But the reward is so much more significant than the cost. Lesson three. And if you've listened to a Baptist sermon before, you know there's only three. They found Jesus because they were ready to worship. And you see, what I find really interesting about this story is that both the wise men and Herod were looking for Jesus. But their reasons and their intentions and their eventual success in that were very different. Now, the wise men, they're following a sign, a miraculous sign, uh, for that matter, that God has given them because they believe Jesus was the king of the Jews and because they wanted to worship him. And When I read this story, I wonder what kind of expectations the wise men rocked up to Jerusalem with. Now, they knew they were, they were confident they were going to see a king. I don't think they would have travelled for 40 days on camels if they didn't think they were going to see a king. But I imagine they probably didn't anticipate seeing a king who was growing up in relative poverty at that time. They also seem to have this expectation that everyone in Jerusalem is going to be buzzing about this new king and they get blank response after blank response when they talk to people. But even despite this king not meeting their expectations or their preconceived ideas, they still choose to worship him because that's what they came ready for. That's what they came anticipating But in the contrast to that, we look at Herod and this guy is following the advice of the religious leaders and he's been very open uh, in his opposition towards Jesus because of his threat to his kingship. And you see, insights and knowledge about Jesus are not enough to find him. We We can do the Bible study, we can read the Bible in a year plan, we can get the theology textbook, we can read the commentaries, but the knowledge and the insight is not enough to find him. What we need, like the wise men, is a recognition of the kingship of Jesus over our lives, and a resting heart posture ready to worship him, not just on a Sunday, not just maybe when other Christians are around, but in everything we do, in how we allocate our time, in how we allocate our resources, in how we speak to people, in how we think about people, in how we lay down our plans, for what God has for us. This is a life-encapsulating posture. There's a theologian and pastor that uh, gets quoted uh, quite frequently here at Greenhouse, Charles Spurgeon, uh, I assume you might have heard of. Uh, He puts it like this far more eloquently uh, than I could have. He says, those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. Now, the most heartbreaking part uh, of this story for me is that Israel, God's chosen people, the Jews, missed the significance of the birth of Jesus. Read with me verse 3 again. You don't want to miss this. It says, when Herod the king heard this, Herod equals bad guy, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, scholars kind of go back and forth here in, uh, you know, discussing were they, were Israel troubled with Herod because they were scared of his imminent crazy man outburst that we read about in a few verses, and that's very possible. Other scholars kind of discuss that Israel were concerned that a king was coming that they didn't uh, anticipate. They were troubled by that. And kind of regardless of where you sit on that discussion, Like me, I imagine you've probably never thought about that discussion before, but apparently that's what scholars discuss. Um, Regardless of where you sit there, at a minimum, it's very clear from the passage that Jerusalem, God's chosen people, were indifferent to the birth of Jesus. And I wonder this morning if some of us, like the Israelites, God's chosen people, maybe we call ourselves people of God, people who align with God, but maybe we've missed the significance of the Christmas message. Maybe we're indifferent to Jesus. Maybe we've heard it all before. We know Christmas comes, we go the four weeks in the lead up to Christmas. We go to the Christmas Eve service. We get our carols in. We get our candles in. It's all good. But maybe we're indifferent to the significance that this message of Jesus has for us. So as the, as the band come back up uh, this morning, I just want to ask you one simple question. What are you worshipping this Christmas? Do you have a posture in that you are worshipping in everything you do, in everything that you are putting your hand to and your mind to, your mouth to? Or are you worshipping the the to-do lists, the purchasing of the perfect gifts, the squeezing everything in, the food on the table, the perfect family Christmas photo with the dog in it staying still that's never going to happen... The list will go on and on and on of the things that we can worship this Christmas. But what are you worshipping? So we're just going to create some time and space for a moment. we will give the band to give us something in the background. I just want you to think about that. What am I worshipping? And if you're honest with yourself and that is not Jesus, I encourage you to ask yourself, how can I reorient myself? from whatever it is I am worshipping back towards my King, back towards the one who laid down his life for me, the one who was born in circumstances that we did not anticipate? How can I turn from whatever it is I'm worshipping back to him?